But first, we're going to have a little fun. And uh, I saw this article, and I said, you know, this this looks pretty doggone cool. The gentleman's name is Hal Markovitz. Hope I pronounced that right. And Hal is an author, and he's putting together a new book called Painting the White House. But he has found some very, very interesting little tidbits of information from the White House as he's been doing his research. And by the way... He's a big fan of a guy named Carson Wentz from Philadelphia. And, Hal, I tell you what, anybody who's a fan of Carson Wentz is welcome on this radio show anytime. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I love the Eagles, and Carson's really brought some uh, electricity to the team. That's cool. That's very neat. Uh, okay, this is a, a novel about, about the White House. First of all, what, what were you writing, and how did you come to finding all these great uh, little tidbits of information about the White House? Well, you are right. It is a novel, and it's the story of an ordinary house painter who gets hired by the First Lady to paint the White House. And once he gets inside and, you know, he shows up with his, his brushes and his ladders and, and, and his drop cloths, but once he gets inside and he gets down to business, he gets involved in all the screwy intrigues and nasty little fights and, and dramas that go on in the White House. So that's what the book is about, and it's very funny. I might say so, <laughs> but when I was uh, researching, you know, when I was writing it, I said, you know, I better know what I'm talking about, so I, I researched the White House, what was involved in it, the rooms, the colors, all of that, and I started coming across the funniest stories about the White House that are absolutely true, and, you know, it kind of helped me put the narrative together, but there's really, if you want a good laugh, just read about the White House. So you could almost have a separate book on its own then on this, huh? As possible. Maybe that's my next book. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us a little bit. First of all, you, you, you mentioned when doing the research, but, I mean, is this little tidbit you found in the White House, or did you search some archives, or uh, how, where did you find the information at? Well, I read a lot of books, a lot of newspaper articles, magazine articles, uh, poked around on the Internet. Um, you know, it's not necessary to go down to the White House to, to research about it. But I did, you know, some severe, uh, significant reading up on the White House, and every once in a while, some screwy little fact would just pop out at me. <laughs> well, let's go through a few of these here that I think people are going to get a great big kick out of. Uh, because, But this one stood out to me right, in, right off the top of the bat. Actually, it's not the first question I looked at here, but this one was the most unusual. Which president discovered that somebody had stolen his underwear? Well, that was uh, President. That was President Madison, and what happened was it was it was during the War of 1812, and as we all know, Washington, the city of Washington, was invaded by the British, and the city was evacuated, and the president and his family were evacuated as well. So the British show up at the White House, and they find the place empty, and they decide to burn it down, which they do. But before they set fire to the place, they took a walk around, and some of them found their way into the president's dressing room, and they found his underwear, and I guess they helped themselves do it before they, before they with the match. Now, he's the one that's, that's pretty small, if I remember right. He, they, I mean, it could have been his son's. <laughs> Who knows, you know, one of the kids' underwear. But uh, that's, that's well, funny. Well, these were, these were sailors, actually, that set fire to the— uh, the White House. And, you know, in those days, it took months to get across the ocean. So uh -huh. I guess clean underwear was a premium. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what the size, huh? <laughs> right. Say, there's a woman here, too, that you mentioned by the name of Betsy Donahue. And uh, she had something to do with the actual construction of the White House. 
Right. The White House was designed by uh, an architect named James Hoban. And in order to oversee the construction, he had a cottage uh, built on the grounds of the White House. So he could he could live in the cottage and oversee the job 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this went on, of course, for several months. At some point, Hoban uh, determined it was no longer necessary for him to live on the construction site, and he moved out of the cottage, and he leased the cottage to a carpenter named Donahue and his wife, Betsy. And shortly after the Donahues took up residence in the cottage, it was learned that Betsy Donahue was running a brothel out of the cottage. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. They were kicked out. <laughs> but it just goes to show the first actual use of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue was um, a house of ill repute. House of ill repute. Oh, my goodness. Well, there was another one that we were going to talk about here, too, that uh, you had mentioned. Uh, there was something that was very unusual about the way that President Hoover and the First Lady uh, treated their White House domestic staff. And yeah, I was kind of curious kind of, about this. Yeah, it was kind of unusual. The the Hoovers uh, issued tiny little bells to the members of the White House staff. And the bells were supposed to be signals to other staff members so that when the Hoovers came strolling down the hallway, they didn't want to see the domestic staff. So everybody who saw the Hoovers were supposed to ring these little bells, and that told everybody to hide. And they would dash in the closets or around doors or something until the Hoovers walked through. And what there's kind of a postscript to this story that decades later, when the Clintons moved in, uh, Hillary Clinton had just had just moved into the White House. And as she was walking down the hall, she saw a couple domestic workers run across the hallway and hide in a closet. And she went up to them and opened the closet and said, what are you doing? And they told her, and Hillary said, well, you really don't have to do that. And that's amazing. This little tradition went on for decades until Hillary Clinton saw them. Wow, that's that's crazy. It was gone the, the whole time. People have been doing that off and on, huh? I suppose. I mean, I didn't see any evidence that they weren't doing it. So. <laughs> if you just joined us, Hal Markovich is on our our guest tonight here on KFGO. We're going to tell you about how to get his new book called Painting the White House, which is going to be out very soon here. Or we'll tell you how to get the information to get it, I should say. And, um, you know, this one, that, you know, I looked at the series of questions that, uh, you know, have been posed. And this one I actually knew, that Elvis Presley once was in the White House and if I remember right, I think it was late at night, and he visited President Nixon, but he gave him a very, very unusual gift. Well, it, was your, it wasn't late at night. It was during the day. Oh, it was. Okay. And what, yes, and what happened was Elvis was uh, a police buff. He collected uh, police badges and belt buckles and, you know, all that kind of uh, swag that you find in police departments. And he had his eye on a Drug Enforcement Administration badge. He wanted a DEA badge. And he asked around, and he found out the only way he could get one was if to become an agent of the DEA. Well, that wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to enroll in DEA school and quit rock and roll. But he gets the idea that he can go to the White House and get Richard Nixon to deputize him as a DEA agent, and he'll get his badge. So he calls in his guys, and he tells them, we're going to fly up to Washington today, and we're going to go to the White House, and Nixon's going to deputize me as DEA agent. 
So they all pile into a, a limo and they go to the airport in Memphis and they fly up to Washington and they hire a car and they drive right up to the White House gate and Elvis gets out and tells the guard at the gate what he's there for. So the guard calls into the White House and tells him. So this goes around the White House like lightning. They have meetings. What do we do? Uh, can, can we do this? Can we pull this off? And would this be great publicity? Sure, it would. So they find some time right after lunch at the end of a period that Nixon or that they had put aside for Nixon to meet dignitaries or whoever was in the White House that day. And they find some time for Elvis. And they let Elvis into the White House and, and they usher him into the Oval Office. And Elvis is dressed in one of his jumpsuits, you know. And, <laughs> With the and, sequins, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, there's a picture taken of this little swearing-in ceremony. And it's my understanding that photograph is the number one selling souvenir at the Nixon Library. How? So, I'm sorry, go ahead. So Nixon uh, deputizes Elvis and gives him the badge. And Elvis, to show his appreciation, has brought a gift to the White House. And it is a gun. And he somehow convinces the, the Secret Service to let him bring a gun into the White House. And I guess they looked it over and found out it wasn't loaded. And he manages to give Nixon a gun. And you can't imagine doing that today, but Elvis was able to pull it off. And the there's a kind of a funny postscript to this story in that after Elvis leaves and then they all clear out, Nixon turns to his guys and he says, he really doesn't know who that was. He knows he's some kind of a singer and his daughter's listening <laughs> to music, but who who was that guy? <laughs> oh, my word. Do we, by the way, do we know where that gun is at right now? Is it... I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's in the Nixon Library. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, Elvis could pretty much do anything, the king of rock and roll, but, I mean, that's, that's so shocking that he actually got that by the Secret Service. Unbelievable. Uh, Absolutely. So, uh, by the way, if you just joined us, this is Hal Markovitz, and uh, his new book is called Painting the White House. It's a novel, and we're going to get to that here in just a couple of moments. We're going to find out what it's all about. But he found some uh, little trivial uh, things that a lot of folks uh, didn't realize had happened in the White House during his research. Uh, Which branch of the government is responsible for catching the mice that occasionally uh, inhabit the White House? There's mice in the White House? Well, there was uh, during the Carter administration. That's where this story goes back to. And shortly after uh, Jimmy Carter moved into the White House in, in 1977, he's at work in the Oval Office, and he notices this rather uh, unpleasant odor. And he figures a mouse died in the wall of the White House, or the wall of the Oval Office. So he uh, calls the General Services Administration and tells them to get rid of the mouse. But the General General Services Administration won't do the job, claiming they're only responsible for maintenance of the White House inside the rooms. So then Carter calls the National Park Service, but they wouldn't do the job either because they said their responsibility ends at the outside of the walls. So the mouse was eventually removed, but it is unclear how uh, Carter accomplished that. But the answer to the question is, Evidently, no branch of government is responsible for exterminating the mice in the White House. <laughs> there is another thing that I found out on your web. I, this is on the web page now, but I, there was actually one of our presidents 
like to do a little skinny dipping when not. Well, uh, actually, you know, more than one. Oh, oh really? More than one? <laughs> yes. Well, the first one was John Quincy Adams. And, of course, uh, he would just saunter down to the Potomac and jump in, and he enjoyed swimming nude. He thought it was healthy. He thought it was good for him. And the, the story I read is one time he goes down there, and he's swimming, you know, he's paddling away, and a female newspaper reporter, which was very rare in those days, okay, but there was a female newspaper reporter, and she, she heard about his little jaunts, and she followed him down to the river, and she sat on his clothes and wouldn't give them back to him until he agreed to an interview. And John Quincy Adams had no choice. <laughs> he, he gave her the interview, and I presume she gave him back his clothes. And the other president who, uh, who sort of had that habit was Lyndon Johnson. Now, he wouldn't do it in the Potomac, but there was an indoor pool in the, in the White House, and that's where he would do his skinny dipping. Wow. Lyndon Johnson, unbelievable. You know, I, I, you know, now that I think about it, that does that kind of does makes might make sense to me a little bit because if I think I saw that last LBJ movie, he actually did business while on the you know what in the uh, in the, in the restroom. <laughs> so oh, that doesn't that doesn't sound too far fetched at all. Well, let let's step up. What's going on in our current administration? Are there weird things happen? Well, I shouldn't say are there. Some people will say that's an oxymoron. <laughs> but so, wait, are there different th- weird things happening for the uh, with Donald and Melania Trump in the White House? Well, one of the you know weird things that goes on is that, um, and it's not so weird. I mean, over the years, there have been presidents and first ladies who have not shared uh, the same bedroom. They're the the living quarters. On the white in the White House or on the second floor, and there's like a, a large apartment up there where the president and his family live. And as I said, it's not unusual. First ladies and presidents have often had separate bedrooms, and I said I, you can see why. I mean, I guess the president's up all night making phone calls or tweeting or whatever he does, and the first lady just wants to get to bed. What's a little weird in this case, though, is there's actually a third floor above that second-floor apartment, and there's a few rooms up there. And during the Obama administration, Michelle Obama's mother, the president's mother-in-law, lived up on that third floor. Okay. So what happened was, after uh, millennia, millennia moved in, uh, she discovered this third floor, and she decided that's where she was going to live. So the Trumps not only don't share the same bedroom, they don't share the same floor in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> I love this stuff. And there's many, many more, by the way, on your website. And uh, uh, the one that kind of tickled me a little bit, because I think I know a couple of people who do this anyway. But uh, George H.W., he actually, when he took a shower, he, he showered with not Barbara, but 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 Millie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to think of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Millie. Millie the dog, yes. There, you go on the Internet and you look for photographs of Millie the dog. You'll see just these wonderful, heartwarming photos of George and Barbara, you know, uh, striding around the White House grounds as Millie, you know, uh, runs after them and and plays, uh, you know, plays with them and whatever. But uh, it was my understanding that occasionally George would hop into the shower and Millie would hop in after him and, well, what the hell, you know, let's take some water. (laughs) Oh, by the way, one more because I I did know this story here too when I looked at your website, but I didn't know I didn't know that the first uh, the first telephone installed uh, in the White House belonged to Rutherford B. Hayes, and I do know what phone number he wanted. 
Well, that's right. The first telephone uh, was installed in the White House uh, during the presidency of Rutherford B. Hayes, who insisted on answering the phone himself. And at the time, the telephone number for the White House was one. So if you had a phone and you could figure out the White House phone number, you could get the president on the phone. It must have been a blast looking all this stuff up there, Hal. Well, as I said, it just kept rolling out. <laughs> you know, I kept writing it down. <laughs> uh, by the way, how much paint does it take to paint the White House? Well, the White House is, as I said, three floors, and it is, um, you know, quite extensive. There's, I believe, over 130 rooms in there, 35 bathrooms, 412 doors, 147 windows, and it just goes on and on. And I believe it was during the Clinton administration when they stripped off all the old coats of paint and they found it had been repainted 30-some times. There were 30-some coats of paint on the White House Wow! by the time the Clintons were living there. But if you had to do it all over again and you wanted to paint the exterior of the White House, my understanding would take 570 gallons to paint the exterior surface. My and I goodness. think that's only one coat. So so I'm, I'm just thinking, that many coats of paint, and I think Clinton was number 43, I think? That's yes. a, that's a, almost a color change per uh, per administration. That's really interesting. Well, not a color change, but <laughs> well, a, a, a painting. Let's yeah. so, so put it that way. Paint, right? <laughs> so, uh, is your book available right now? Yes, it is. And uh, the easiest way to find it is to go to my website, paintingthewhitehouse.com. And there's a link to the Amazon listing for it, and you can get it that way. By the way, uh, because I know people are going to be going to that website, I want to ask you a quick question about it, because you've got kind of a lava lamp-type presence that goes across the screen. Could you explain that to the folks a little bit? Well, it's supposed to be paint dabs. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's blue and orange in color, so. Yeah, I mean, it kind of flows across there, but uh, maybe uh, if you want to call it a lava lamp, that's fine with me. Well, that's, that's, I guess that's what I looked at it the first time. That's what I thought it was, so. But anyway, so, so have you got other books, too, that people can look up? Uh, well, I've got uh, another novel. It's called My Life with Wings, and it's sort of like painting the White House, and in this case, an ordinary fellow wakes up one morning and he discovers he's grown wings overnight, and he spends the whole book ruminating on exactly what to do with these wings, and all his friends give him all kinds of advice, and... Uh, some of it's weird, some of it's not so weird, and he makes a pretty good decision. I don't want to spoil the ending, but he figures out what to do with his wings at the end of the book. Wow. Very good, very good. Hal Markovich, what's the best website to check out besides paintingthewhitehouse.com? Oh, if you that... want to learn about the White House, I think it's whitehouse.gov, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but but for you, it's paintingthewhitehouse.gov or .com, right? Uh, paintingthewhitehouse.com, right? All right, sounds good. Hal, I really appreciate you taking time out to chat with us tonight here on KFGO. A lot of fun in this uh, in this uh, conversation. Congratulations on the book, and uh, I hope you have much, much uh, success with it. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you tonight. And I'll be looking for that trivia book on the White House coming up in the near future, too, by the way. Okay, that could, that could happen now. <laughs> All right, very good. Hal Markovich, our special guest tonight here on the Mighty 790 KFGO and KFGO.com.